Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like sports? Cause we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. And welcome to episode 209 of the Sports Yak Podcast. You mean the Milt Pappas episode? Oh, Milty Pappas. Milt Pappas, the former Orioles and then Cubs pitcher. Looked like he was going to have a perfect game in 1972, but Bruce Fremming would not give him a third strike call. So instead, he had a no-hitter, and that Pappas no-hitter was the last no-hitter for a long time until, uh, I believe, Carlos Zambrano threw one back around 2010 or so. But Mil Pappas, very successful pitcher, won 209 games in his big league career. Before we jump into our very special, exclusive interview today. Well, I don't know how exclusive. She's making the rounds today. She talked to you and I <laughs> and nobody else in this moment. How about that? There you that? go. Uh, speaking of baseball, Orioles and White Sox play on this day in history in 2015 in an empty ballpark. Do you remember that? And could we see that soon? Yeah, Baltimore was in a situation where they had riots in the streets. It, it was some sort of racial problem. I don't remember exactly why, but they said it was not safe for fans to go to Camden Yards. So the Orioles and White Sox were already there, and they said, go ahead and play the game. And we'll play it in an empty stadium. And, yes, I think that could be a harbinger of what we see in Major League Baseball. Uh, there was a plan reported in USA Today today that uh, said that instead of leagues, we'd have three 10-team divisions based on geography. And uh, there'd be an expanded postseason. But the way it would all start was with games in Florida, Texas, and Arizona. And there would be no fans in the stands for the early games with the hope of moving those games to teams' home parks with fans as the season goes along. You think that'll happen? I do. I I think there's too much money involved in Major League Baseball, uh, and they want to get in about a 100-game season. In order to do that, you can't really start much later than July 2nd, and they'd like to start by late June. I think all of these sports organizations feel a little bit of pressure to kind of try to get things going so people have something to watch. Yeah. You know, the last dance isn't going to last forever. Uh, so yeah. there, there's only four more weeks left of that. I know NASCAR has plans of starting right around May 17th, I want to say. Uh, golf has already said that it's going to start in early June with no fans. It would not surprise me to see Major League Baseball played that way. The NBA and the NHL still kind of tough to figure out for me. 
and the amount of money that's being lost is oh, yeah. probably astronomical. Well, that's that's why you have when you look at football and especially college football, it's almost mandatory that there be some sort of college football season because a lot of these athletic programs would just dissolve yep. if they did not have a college football season. And to be honest, there might be quite a few colleges that just collapse as well. Well, much like the after-school specials that Chuck and I grew up with that were so special back in the day, we've got a special episode for you today. Indeed, we're looking forward to chatting with the head basketball coach at the University of Notre Dame, and it's not Muffet McGraw. Family Broadcasting Corporation, in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! It is! Good! It's good! It's good! Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever! Well, we are pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Notre Dame women's basketball program. And for the first time in 33 years, that is not Muffet McGraw. It is Niel Ivy joining us on the phone. Congratulations, Niel. Take Thank me, you. Oh, it's so good to have you back, first of all. Uh, I miss running into you at places like CarX when we're both getting our cars worked on. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. Trust me, it's been a blessing to be back. Well, take me through this process a little bit, because obviously when the university put out the release about Muffet resigning and then 16 minutes later you were hired, and I, I kind of asked Jack Swarbrick, was it that quick in real time? He, <laughs> he did allude to the fact that he's been talking to this possibility with you for a couple of years now, but when did you actually find out that Muffet was pulling the trigger on retirement? Right. Well, during the like the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, so like around the middle, the middle March maybe around that sure. time, um, he, he Jack, um, you know, um, informed me that coach was deciding that this was the year that she wanted to step down, and you know, started the process, and you know, formally asked me, um, and you know, told him told me that he wanted me to be her her successor and all that. So, um, you know, it was probably like you know a couple of weeks into the um, pandemic. Or the shutdown, I guess you could say. Sure. And from that time on, how tough was it to keep that secret until it was finally announced last week? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I'm I'm really good at keeping secrets, first of all. So I think think I'm really good at keeping secrets. But um, it's just just like the explosion of um, um, my heart because I just wanted to share, you know, share it because I know that you know I felt like my family and you know my community, Notre Dame community, I felt like they were going to be you know really excited and embrace. Um, this new position, a new opportunity for me. So, um, yeah, I was, uh, and especially because it's just so, I guess the beauty of it was I was isolated. So it wasn't that I was around people that I could, you know, want to tell anyone. I was really in isolation. And I used that time, honestly, just to spiritually connect with the Lord and, and ask and just making sure that it was the right decision and make sure that it was the right, um, you know, going to be really good for Jaden and I. And, you know, because I, I do feel like it was it was hard in regards to, Leaving the, the the new family that I um, that I had in Memphis, uh, the Grizzlies family. I mean, I was very they were very impactful in my life. Um, you know, Taylor Jenkins and 
Zach Kleiman, the general manager, Taylor Jenkins, the head coach, and the, the players. I was really, really close with, with them and the community of Memphis and everyone that was a part of the organization. So we developed a really, really tight bond there, and I was, it was really hard. It was really hard to say to let go, to let go of that because I had a really great experience. Coach just told us that she's really good at keeping secrets, so put that in a note somewhere. We'll remember that. We'll come back, back around to that. Let's see how her memory is. All right, Chuck? Okay. We talked to Coach McGraw a couple episodes ago, Niel, and she told us during your recruiting trip, you got off the airplane with a pie that your mom made for the coach. What kind of pie was it? Pound cake. Pound cake. We did not get that from Coach McGraw. I don't think she remembered what it was. She didn't remember. Oh, my gosh. She just remembers a pie, but it was a pound cake. I have to tell my mom that. She's going to be very disappointed. Cause oh, mom, yeah. Because uh, they all, every time my mom would come back in town to watch me play or, or come back to support me coaching, she was like, I'm going to make that pound cake. I know, the, I know Coach McGraw loves that pound cake. So, Let me ask you a follow-up question about uh, Muffet. If okay. you were to tweet out, Neil, if you were to tweet out three – Big lessons you learn from under her tutelage as a player and an assistant coach. In no order, what were the three big lessons you took away from that experience? Um, first of all, to operate with integrity. Um, I always felt like as a player and as a coach, she always I, I, she led by example, but it's the, the way that she led. Um, you know, she it always felt like you know you have to do things the right way. Sometimes it might be not the way that you would want them to be or, you know, an advantage somewhere else or some, some, something like that. But I always felt like she, she always led with integrity and she always stressed the importance of doing things the right way. Um, I said that was number one lesson. Um, and to live with passion. I always felt like she was, um, you know, she loved Notre Dame. She, and that exudes everything, exudes in everything that she does. She did with Notre Dame. She touched the community the way she, um, you know, obviously built this found this program and this the legacy that she left. Um, and I felt like she did that with passion. She loves, she loves her, she loves Notre Dame, um, and she loves women's basketball, and she loved this program. And I always felt that that passion from her every day. She she loved coming to practice, um, and I think that's what made this this um, this program. Um, be one of the best programs in, in the in the in the history of the game, um, and you know it just felt like she, um, she was just the hardest worker. Yeah, I just felt like she, the way that she worked, um, and everything that she did, and um, the way that she approached every day, um, she was, um, you know, never satisfied. I guess you could say so. The, her work ethic, but I guess I could say really never satisfied. You know, we won by twenty points and. You know, she's getting after the girls saying, you know what, you know, we, we didn't really live up to her potential. We could have won by 30 to 40, never being satisfied. Even after all the success and winning, they always went back to the drawing board and really was kind of starting from scratch. So, like, that satisfied. And the way that she, um, that philosophy of hers, I think, carried from the, the way that she worked. That never satisfied. She often expressed herself at practices in sarcasm, how long did it take you to get used to the razor-sharp tongue that she could employ? As a coach or as a uh, player? As a player. Because <laughs> oh. by the time you went there as a coach, you had heard it for four years. That's true. That's true. I just saw a different side be on the other side. But, okay, so as a player, I think from day one, I think, you know, I remember her telling me because I was so nervous and I was, I was that little girl that – I just wanted to do everything right, and if I didn't, I was emotional about it. Like, I wanted to be a perfectionist. You know, she told me from the beginning, she's like, look, Miel, she's like, 
you know, you're a freshman, seven, this role, a point guard. Um, you're going to have a lot of responsibility. She's like, the only thing I'm looking for you to do is to work hard. She's like, if you go in 100% and going the wrong way or going 100% wrong, I'd, I'd appreciate more so going, um, you know, 50% um, right. You know, she's, I just, I always remember that. And I'm like, okay, so I knew that I could do that. So I was like, I'll not worry about the, the rest of it. I'll just try to work as hard as I could and, and, and um, you know, impress her that way. We've heard from people that you had in college and in the NBA, guys like John Morant, Jaden, they all rave about you as a scout coach. Most people, including probably the two of us, have no idea what goes into scouting a team. What what happens when you put on the tape? Right. Um, I try to, if the best way possible, try to find the identity of that team. Um, and I think my head coach at, in the Memphis Grizzlies, Taylor Jenkins, did a really, really job of kind of showing me a different way to, to scout. Um, he was very detail-oriented, and so he allowed me to look at things from a different perspective and be very, very detail-oriented um, in the way that I approach scouting. But the biggest thing that I feel like I, um, you know, I, I, I would do as scouts is really try to find the identity of the team that we were playing on offense and find the identity of the team that we were playing on defense and try to find uh, exactly, um, you know, just trying to find a great way to communicate um, with the guys or with the girls um, how we were going to beat them. So not just giving information, but having a solution. I felt like that was something I learned really well um, by knowing what Coach McGraw wanted when I was scouting, and I carried that to the NBA. But it's really just you have to really dive into that team that you're playing and really find ways um, and solutions as to how to stop them and solutions to ha- how to beat them. And so I just felt like that was always my strength. I always felt like that was my strength, and um, I created that confidence um, and you know, at Notre Dame, of scouting like Tennessee, my first big win to um, help us propel us to go to the Final Four that year in 2011. Um, and so I always felt like that I knew what my strength was, and I always felt like, okay, I know I can scout. That, that's one thing, you know, might be in a different league, but I know I can scout. So I always try to do- dive into um, what I felt comfortable with. And, uh, you know, uh, thank goodness it turned in the um, NBA. Coach, uh, when we talked to Muffet a couple episodes ago, she just talked about how recruiting changed and the mm-hmm. players changed, and it feels like, you know, and I don't mean this derogatorily, if that's correct, uh, she's the old guard, you're the new guard, you're the 2020 version of a head coach. Could you do this without social media, or is that such a important role now in a player's world? Could you do it without the tweets? Could you do it without texting, or is that part of the game now? I think it's completely part of the game. I think that um, social media is the form of communication. I think that, like you said, through texting um, players, um, they're not really on the phone like they were back when I was uh, being recruited. Like you actually picked up the phone and, and actually talked. But this generation, they're used to being on their smartphones. They're used to being online. Um, and so you have to find creative ways to communicate with them, and you have to find how they, you know, to understand and know how they communicate. I think I... Um, you know, my advantage really is yeah, I love to communicate, but I also um, I'm very active on social media. I know that it's my brand. Um, so wherever I'm at, I try to promote that. Um, and I show my personality. Um, I'm not the things that I put out online. Really, they're just who, who I am. You know, I, I'm really my passion for basketball, um, the uh, Notre Dame and, you know, for the NBA, like I and, and passion for my son. So I, I try to be really authentic in the way that I present myself. And I think that that translates to the, um, this generation, but I think absolutely like you, you have to find 
that um, you have to find that connection through texting and you know through social media that's going to really connect with with this group. Um, and I think that Coach McGrath, I think she did a great job of adjusting um, to the new generation. And I think that um, you know her staff and even especially when I was when I was with her, you know we supplemented that part of Coach when she, you know she was not as you know not big on social media. I thought she was hilarious on Twitter. I thought I liked that she showed her personality on Twitter. Um, but, you know, that never really was her thing. But I think she adapted to it. I thought she did a, a phenomenal job of that. But that's why you have a staff that can supplement, um, you know, supplement, uh, you know, with a new era, a new age of, of communication with the recruits. But I think it is super vital into, um, you know, connecting with players uh, now. I'm going to steal some of Chuck's words. He was saying that you hit the ground running and landed a couple of great recruits right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. If I'm I'm a dad. I've got a teenager, and let's say you're gonna, you know, for lack of a better way, you're showing up in my living room to recruit. What is your highest value of a player in 2020? The highest value of a player? Yeah. What for? What are you looking for uh, from this point forward? Right. Um, I'm very. I guess with the with the classes, I'm very. I'm, I will be. I would be looking at positions. Like, what position do we need? So I guess that's the first. Identifying our needs. Um, and then, um, you know, besides that, I would I would be looking for um, a player that is has the best of, that that has you know the attributes that I'm looking for in a Notre Dame uh, student athlete. Be, being a coach in Notre Dame and actually actually being a student athlete, and graduate from Notre Dame and playing in this program, I know with the type of kids that would thrive in this system, that would thrive in this university. You have to be a special type of person to be able to thrive in this um, in Notre, at Notre Dame. And I, I, I can identify that. And then that means putting your academics first, you know, somebody that's a hard worker and somebody that you're not going to have to, you know, force to go to class, you know, little things like that that actually take academics very seriously. Um, you know, somebody that's maybe, you know, has faith in their life, not saying that you have to be a certain religion, but you just understand the value of having faith with Notre Dame being a faith-based and spiritual campus, um, you know, and, you know, obviously being a really good person, really good person in the community. Um, I think that they would, those type of, um, those type of recruits, I think would thrive in this community just because Notre Dame is a family. Um, I think everybody understands the uniqueness that Notre Dame brings. Um, and, you know, again, back to the academics, they understand the value of the education. So it's really not, um, you know, it's so many things outside of having the, the athletic ability to, to help us win. You have to understand and value the other parts of Notre Dame that make us special. You mentioned faith a couple of times so far. What role does faith play in your life? Um, faith plays the most important role in my life. I know that um, I'm not I'm I'm here because of obviously you know Coach McGraw and Jack and Notre Dame and my experiences and um, but I definitely think that the, the number one reason is because um, because the Lord I know that God had a plan for me um, and I'm walking in faith uh, and I definitely know that. Um, I'm here for a reason. Um, the Lord, I think, opened up this opportunity and these these um, these uh, journeys and opportunities that I've received is de- definitely um, is definitely God. It's, it's in His plan, and I'm just I'm just fortunate to be able to um, spread that word and also um, you know realize that this is all this is all His plan. And I just excited and um, you know and fortunate and blessed to be able to to be in this role, this platform, in order just to impact lives because I know that's what it's all about. Dropping some Drake on us with some God's plan there. <laughs> That's a ringtone. <laughs> hey, Neil, I, I do want to ask you one, one thing here is that you are the first African-American female coach at the University of Notre Dame. Yes. 
Do you feel, I'm, I'm sure that has to be a sense of great pride, but does it also bring pressure? Um, I think it's completely sense of um, great pride. Um, being the first African-American female assistant in Memphis, I think prepared me for this moment because I realized um, just how impactful that was. Um, I think just my presence on that bench with the guys um, showed young girls, young women everywhere that anything is possible. And I recognized that last year. I recognized the impact that I made just walking in the arena. I mean, so many people would just walk past me while the game's going on. It was just <laughs> like, you go, girl, or thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, every everywhere I went, it was almost like not trying to take attention away from where it needed to take. It was just, I was acknowledged. People looked at me, and girls looked up to me, and, they, and I knew that that I really understood the magnitude of it last year um, in, in that role. And I, and so I, I always say, like, I, that was something that I wore every day. When I came into work, that was the cape. That was, like, my, my superhero, the cape that I wore every day, knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm the first African-American female, and I'm going to work hard because I want my work to show for itself and, and open up more lanes and more opportunities for more women and more, you know, more African-American women, uh, women in general, you know. So being in this role here in Notre Dame, I know understand the magnitude of it because I just lived it last year. And so I think I'll, I'll be able to navigate through that um, probably even even more just because I what I experienced. And um, I think that the impact, you know, I always say my mission, really, this is my mission to love, to serve, and to mentor, those three things. And I feel like those are the pillars of who I am. And so, you know, being in this role as the first African-American, um, you know, coach at Notre Dame, um, that's just going to – plays into what's what I believe in, you know, and uh and I I again I'm I'm a representation of what's possible. So if you're looking at me and I'm and if a young girl's looking at me and saying, I don't I don't think I could I could ever, you know, be a coach or I, I don't think I could ever I'm I'm in a leadership position, a woman of color that's saying, Yes you can because look look at my journey. Look look where I am. Um so it is possible. So I'm just showing everybody that it is possible if you work hard and you believe. Coach, if you could have access to anyone dead or alive before your first game, a sit-down, maybe just some advice and wisdom, anybody, mm-hmm. sky's the limit. Now that you mm-hmm. got this wonderful head coach title, you got access, who would you choose? Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. Why? Yes, I'm a fan. Um, you know, he's uh, – I think that he is actually starting to read his book, and I know everybody's watching The Last Dance, but I always felt like um, he was just such an incredible um, – just an incredible leader, incredible teacher. I mean, I know he used a lot of different ways to inspire. He he had some of the best, you know, obviously in Jordan and Pippen and, and Kobe. He had to he had to coach and mentor some of the best best elite best players that ever played the game. Um, and I just always felt his presence watching him. I just felt like he was so strong, but he was also so poised. Um, obviously, with the successes he's had in his coaching career, he played. We you know was a former player. Um, he's won eleven championships. And I just, I've always, I've always admired him from afar. I always just felt like he would be somebody that I would love to learn from just because of his, uh, you know, just just his story, you know, the way that he is, um, you know, he's, he's the way that he's, um, his journey coaching, his success. But I always just feel like even outside of the success, I just think that he would, he would, he's, um, you know, he would, he would bring so much knowledge to, you know, outside of basketball. I always just felt that watching him so he would definitely be somebody i would love to sit down for five minutes just to just to listen to him speak i just think he's 
he just seems like he has so much wisdom. So he's definitely a, um, a big fan of uh, – I'm just a big fan of his. I'm the same with Chuck, just ah. so we all know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Chuck just, would be number two. Just five like, minutes yeah. with him. Now, a lot of people right. have referred to Chuck as number two in the past. hey yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the NBA coach, uh, was there any a moment, uh, time in, in your Grizzlies season – where you just looked out on the floor and you're like, oh, OMG, I get to see fill-in-the-blank play up close. <laughs> um, probably in the Staples Center when we play LeBron. And uh, just seeing him up close. And I've seen him. I've taken Jaden to multiple games because obviously Jaden's a big fan of the NBA. But I think in the Staples Center when uh, when he when he came down on, you know, right in front of our bench and, you know, his massive stature – you know, kind of, it was just really like, um, that was very um, impactful for me because I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm coaching against LeBron. Now, granted, I didn't have that scout, just so you guys know. I did not have that scout. Um, <laughs> I was like looking at the scout list assignments and I'm like, yes, we don't have the Lakers because um, I don't know what I could put on there to say to try to pick LeBron. But, um, but yeah, so he came right down in front of the bench and he like looked at us and I almost felt like he was looking at, not he was looking at me, but he was just like looking at us and just, you know, he, he has a lot of funny mannerisms on the, on the court um, and says some funny stuff. So it was just funny just seeing him up close, but his stature, I was looking at him like, oh my gosh, you know, he's the best player in the, um, in the world and in the, in definitely in the NBA right now. Like he's, we're, we're, we're you know, we're tr- strategizing, trying to, trying to figure out how to beat this, this massive, um, um, personality. So that that was something that I was like, wow, this is this is unbelievable. How good is John Morant? Oh, oh my gosh! It, you know what's interesting is like I've I've been blessed to be around great guards, and so it's really it's really interesting how the Lord put me in the organization that had the most fantastic point guard um, and most exciting point guard in the league. It just, I always feel like that is just just kind of rent, just. Uh, very coincidence. It's a really big coincidence, you know, having Skyler, having Enrique, all these exciting guards that I had a chance to work with, Jewel Lloyd, uh, but to have um, to have John Morant, I was like, uh, it was a, it was a dream for me to just to, to see how he worked and just to be around him. But I'm telling you that that he is different. He is special. He he has that it factor. He is a um, the ultimate competitor. Um, he's fearless. You know, he has that he has that swag and um, that dog in him. Like, he just, when he steps on the court, he has such a small frame. You know, he has such a big heart but a small frame. He, I mean, he's going to be, I mean, he could have been an all-star this year. He is definitely the future of the NBA. I've never seen anything like it up close, you know. And he's just a great person. He's a humble family man, um, and he's just, he's a joy. He makes everybody better around him, and he never, um, you know, is boastful about the celebrity that he creates. He's just a superstar. He's just um, he's just incredible. He's one, he's one of my favorites. Other than both being Notre Dame alums, the other thing that we have in common, Neil, is we are both parents of Purdue freshmen-to-be. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. Yeah, congratulations. so maybe, Thank you very much, and congratulations to you, too. Maybe we'll carpool a little bit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, there's a little bit more pressure on your freshmen-to-be than mine because right. <laughs> yours is going to be playing in Big Ten arenas. How ready is he for playing for Matt Painter? Oh, he's so ready. He um, he's so excited. We are so excited. But he is, um, you know, Jaden definitely has a um, a work ethic and grind that is unparalleled. He works so hard, um, and I just think with the leadership of you know Coach Painter and uh, you know and his coaching staff, he is just going to thrive in his system. And I know that he's going to teach him more than more than just 
you know, basketball. I think he's really going to help mold him into be an um, even better young man. Uh, but Jaden is ready. He has been dreaming. This has been his dream for so long. Um, I know everyone knew that he was out uh, for about eight weeks with a stress fracture, so he was in a boot. Um, and so he got cleared. And so, you know, basically going by what the doctors are telling that he can do, but he is getting after it already. Um, just run, you know, just being outside because you can't get into a gym. So he's just kind of running in the neighborhood or um, just trying to, you know, work work out at home, lifting at home and all that kind of stuff. He's doing what he can with the, um, the limitations, but um, he is so ready. He, I just could tell you that he is so ready, and I think he, he'll be ready for the pressure. Um, so I, I think he's going to, um, I think he's going to be, he's going to be great. But also I know that their coaches are going to help him, help him through that transition of being a freshman. Coach, uh, the fan base of Notre Dame women's basketball is a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Take a few seconds to speak to those fans on what they can expect from you and your team when we finally get you on the floor. Right. Well, Irish fans, you guys can expect, um, just like I led um, and as uh, as a point guard and you know as one of coaches assist, Coach McGarr's assistants, I'm going to lead with my heart. Um, it's going to be a lot of passion. Um, it's going to be a lot of excitement. The girls, um, I think the system that I'm going to put in place is really fun to watch. I think I have you know uh, a great uh, canvas of just talent, and I think it's going to be really really fun to kind of see the picture of masterpiece that we're going to create. Um, we're going to grow every day. We're going to get better every day. Um, but we're going to compete. So I think that um, what they're going to enjoy is just just great basketball, but just play the girls. I just want um, you know them to know that the girls are going to really go out there and compete. Um, we're going to wear pride. You know, we're going to have pride just putting that uniform on and just being representing Notre Dame and representing um, this community um, and, the, and the university. Now, does Brunel get to keep 33? Or are you taking that away from her and saying, oh, hey, for that's sure. mine forever? Yeah, no, no, no. She's keeping <laughs> it. She's putting that on because I need her to score 33 points a night. So um, she's keeping that uniform on. And she's been representing it very well. So I'm excited for her. Awesome. We can't wait to have you on Pulse FM. We are so glad to have you here on Sports Yak. Uh, give Jaden a pat on the back for us. <laughs> Tell him to get out in that driveway and shoot some hoops when it's still I dry. Oh, I know. Got to get find a hoop outside. But no, I'll tell him. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. And so I'm so happy to be back. Absolutely, Neil Ivy, the head women's basketball coach at the University of Notre Dame. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's sports check. Sports check. Sports check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.